0: We're really pleased to have you with us again tonight. I've got two amazing colleagues of mine with me tonight. We're going to be talking about mental health, social work. But before we do that, and obviously we want loads and loads of questions and people um, asking our fantastic guests all about social work. So I'll come over to Dave and he can tell you how you can join in.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, You may notice that my voice is a bit husky tonight. Uh, I've been a bit poorly over the last few days, so hopefully it will maintain this uh, level of noise. Uh, And won't cut out. Uh, It's great for you to thank you for joining us tonight uh, and our excellent guests. Uh, As always, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, you've got a couple of options. The first one is on the Facebook Live uh, chat. Uh, If you go to the MHA Facebook Live page uh, and put any questions or comments in, we'll try and feed through as many as possible. The other option that you've got is on Twitter. And all you need to do is include the hashtag MHTV. Uh, We'll be able to see the tweets and then hopefully we'll be able to bring those into the conversation again. Uh, Without further ado, back over to you, Nikki.
0: Okay, so let's go to our guest, our first guest, Sherry. Tell us a little bit about by yourself.
2: Right, right. I'm Sherry Carlton. I'm a senior lecturer uh, at Middlesex University on a postgraduate um, social work qualifying programme. Cool, Think ahead. I'm a social worker, obviously, by discipline, and I have a, approximately 20-something years' experience of working in social work practice, both in the UK and in Australia, both in adults and children's social work.
0: Fantastic. Ed, how about you? Have you frozen, Ed?
3: Hi, everybody. Uh, my name's... Uh, bye. Tell me when I've stopped freezing.
0: You've stopped freezing. <laughs>
3: See you all. So, um, okay, good. Thank you. Perfect. So, uh, my name is Ed Carter. I'm a senior lecturer at Middlesex University and I am um, a qualified social worker. And I uh, worked for a number of years in um, adult learning disability services and also in mental health services and Mm. uh, was a qualified uh, approved mental health professional. Well, actually, I was an approved social worker uh, as it was back in those days. Yeah. I think I just about did the conversion to uh, an AMP um, before I moved from practice into um, higher education, uh, where I've taught predominantly around adult social care, social work, um, obviously with a focus on learning disability and mental health um, mm-hmm. at times. And in my current role, I'm the director of programmes for Think Ahead, um, which is uh, um, a national mental health social work qualifying program. So, um, people uh, on that program qualify as social workers and register with Social Work England. Um, but the focus, there's a, a kind of a, a lens, I suppose, to be put through the training, which is around mental health. And um, the students have placements uh, in mental health settings um, as part of that. And that's a, a program we run um, in partnership with a charity called Think Ahead. Um, who mm. have run the programme for a number of years now. Mm. And I also have responsibility for overseeing uh, continued professional development um, in the social work cluster, so CPD, practice education, best interest mm. assessment, improved um, mental health um, professional training, and, and those sort of things.
0: You're busy then. <laughs> I guess so. Just before we even get started, perhaps it'd be really useful just to say exactly what is it. What does the social worker do? What What's the function of a social worker? Or, you know, what makes them unique in their profession? That'd
3: be really helpful. And we maybe if you, if Sheree, if you, I'm going to throw this to you. <laughs> I'll throw you under the bus. If, if, you, if you, if you know of <laughs> you, and then if I, and then I'll say a bit about. Particularly in how it works in mental health settings, so you happy to kind of do an overview of what an actual social worker is?
2: Yeah, Um, a a social worker works in a range of um, different um, kind of practice areas, from children and families to um, adult services um, across the spectrum. We kind of, I guess, we're driven by a rights-based perspective, social justice, um, looking at promoting rights. Human rights, particularly um, collaborating with service users through relationship-based practice, um, supporting people to make um, the changes in the lives that they might need to um, to improve those. Working within policy and legal frameworks um, to, to promote rights and wellbeing. Yes.
3: And I think probably there's um I mean there's a public perfect. Of social work, I think, which is really focused around. Well, I guess if you were to ask a random person on the street, it almost only be around taking children into care,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, probably in error. Um, th- and I guess that there is, there's always that kind of balance in social work between public protection roles, so safeguarding children and vulnerable adults,
4: mm-hmm. um,
3: but also around that promoting rights and enabling people. And, and so the, the two sides of the coin really are. are that public protection element, but the other side is around identifying people's needs, identifying mm. services to, to meet them and to enable people to be independent and autonomous in their choices. Mm. Um, and the vast majority of people that come into contact with a social worker outside of a professional capacity, it will be in the context of them having a social care need of some description, um, which um, they need support um, with. And social worker will be the person who kind of helps them to identify what that support might be, and then helps them to access mm-hmm. it. And um, I think, and um, social work is, we we have this generic profession. So um, when people qualify as a social worker, they can work in any field. So that they can work in mental health, learning disability, physical disability, children in need, fostering and adoption, mm-hmm. child protection, and. Um, and the, the, the qualification gives people the skills and knowledge um, and values to, to, to work across those. Mm. That said, I think there is a, a, a bit of a separation within the profession um, that, you know, children's services are largely regulated by Ofsted, um, mm. and um, whereas adult services are generally regulated by, by the CQC. There are kind of specialist roles that are more aligned to adult. Um, services so, so the improved the mental health professional role the best interest mm-hmm. assessor role and then there's roles that are more aligned to, to children and families work and, and i guess sort of those there's, there's, there's you might see that as the two main pathways yeah and, and people do cross out across them but but not that often i would actually say i think once mm-hmm. people set off down one pathway once they're established in their career they probably kind of um stay in there i think mental health is probably a slight outlier in that um, in terms Mm. of how social workers operate because um, they are operating in a health setting, often, not not exclusively, but often operating in a health setting which is kind of different again from children and families work and other areas of adult social care which Mm. tend to be um, working for local authorities. Um, So some of the functions change a little bit for that and and I think one thing we might come on to talk about today is that Mm. There is um, a lot of discussion around the identity of social work within mm-hmm. mental health settings, uh, and the fact that there are a lot of shared tasks in that arena with other professionals, such as occupational therapists and community mental health nurses and, uh, and community learning disability nurses and uh, various other professions, w- which probably is less the case in other areas where social workers mm-hmm. practice. Um, so if if you're a Working in an older person service and more learning disabilities, as I was,
4: mm.
3: mostly you're going to have your social work team around you and you're doing mm. your social work bit, and other people are doing their bit. Um, but in adult mental health, there, there's much more overlap and blurring of the roles often. And I think that mm. comes from the idea of the care coordinator. Mm. Um, and when that was introduced, it was introduced as a role that a number of professions could sit in and occupy. Um, and certainly for a long time, and I think still to some degree, it's the predominant model mm. and role within community mm. mental health settings. Mm. And, and the way I was kind of the, – the thing that kind of brings it home to me is, I suppose, if I was a service user in, in mental health services and somebody said to you me, hey, what, what profession is your care coordinator? They would probably say, it's a care coordinator. They may well not yeah. know. that person's a social worker an OT or a nurse, mm. they, they don't see that kind of professional identity in the same way yeah. um, as we do in other services.
0: we mm. yeah, always kind of valued that though about kind of community care in that it wasn't about you, it was about the person who you were supporting and you tended to get, if someone had a lot of medical needs, they would probably get someone who could do medication. If they had a lot of social needs, they'd probably get directed towards social work. And I kind of like that model, you know, I know that it does lead to a bit of jumbling around, but it feels like services should be here for the individual and not us telling people what we feel like looking after today. <laughs> really yeah.
2: different.
0: Did you want to add to that, Cherie? Because I have a question for you if you didn't.
2: Yeah, no, I actually did. I was thinking oh. about saying that people don't often kind of um, move between areas, and I'm one of those very few people who have worked mm-hmm. both in adults and children's services. Mm-hmm. And I guess one of the, the th- the things that I found from practice is you know that those experiences of working in children's services um, you know based on the kind of um, knowledge and uh, skills I guess of social work practice the kind of life course um, theories the um, psychological and social uh, perspectives start to understand the experiences of adults um, through the eyes mm-hmm. of, 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 of children and and equally thinking about the needs of parents um and understanding the needs and difficulties of parents in in a different way has really it's been really helpful having worked in children's services and adult services to be able to kind of cross that divide so i think that there's lots of benefits to that and fundamentally the skills the knowledge and skills remains the same those are transferable skills um, in social work um, and transferable knowledge um, and I guess the, the practice principles remain the same in terms of, you know, promoting mm-hmm. rights, um, safeguarding, whether that's in adults or, or children's context, um, and looking at least restrictive um, kind of interventions mm-hmm. and kind of intervening only where it's necessary to do so.
0: One question that I've, I've never asked, but I'm actually curious for both of you: so Why did you become social workers? What was it? When did you know? How did you end up?
3: Deciding to go down that route, but Unless it's personal, of course. Personal, we? <laughs> Just I, mean, I, I, I was going to be a vet, I think. And then I don't, you know, this is when I was like nine years old. Mm. Um, I'm not quite sure how I fell into it. I, I do know that I'd wanted to be a social worker since sort of the age of 11 or 12. And, and, I, and I, I had no personal kind of contact with social A lot of people go into social work because um, they've either been through the care system or mm. they've had a relative who's who has or that some you know yeah. relative with who's needed social care in some way and that's kind of how it's it's come on the radar, I think. Um, but it was just you know, I think it was through kind of volunteering after school groups and and then me- meeting somebody who was a social worker and finding her very inspiring. Mm. Um, and working, uh, started to work in learning disability services um, is initially sort of volunteering again as a when I was a kid working in sort of play schemes and summer schemes and then going into residential care um, when I was old enough to actually be paid um, and yeah. work there. Um, and and, and I get, that's the other route I think a lot of people go into social work via, is kind of social care setting. So it's kind of, you know, there's kind of a real ceiling around. Social care particularly for adults if you if you're working in a care home or something like that um you you, you haven't there's no really career pathway around mm-hmm. that um unless you're going to go into some sort of social enterprise and open mm-hmm. up a string of care homes yourself um
4: mm-hmm.
3: so um it kind of felt like if you wanted a career in that broad area then social work um, was um, the way to go with it what Are you
2: sure um, mine's quite similar in some ways, and oh, very vets as well. <laughs> um, I didn't want to be a vet or anything caring when I was young. I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought that mm. was quite an ambitious, cool thing to do. Um, but um, I I volunteered with um, a, vol- a voluntary ser- uh, service working with um, Irish Traveller um, children in a transient uh, traveller site, um, providing kind of preschool. Activity, mm. um, and I really enjoyed the work. Um, I found that I was kind of good at working with people, working with people with disadvantage that have been disadvantaged structurally um, and otherwise. Um, and I guess that kind of had had some traction. Mm. Um, and yeah, I pursued a social sciences degree. I think was my first degree with a with lips were attached, um, and. That Was the beginning of
0: the end. Here I am. I <laughs> was well, all signed up to be a history teacher, so what a different world we nearly could have had. <laughs> so, thinking about the specialties or going back to what Ed was saying about how they overlap and how they're, they're distinct, I wondered if there's anything you guys wanted to add to that, or perhaps we could um, check and see if Dave's got any questions for us if, if that's not the case. Do you guys want to add anything?
3: Well, yeah, I would. I, I think so. There's, um, of the, the the program we work on now the mental health program is 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 born from some some discussion and debate within the social work profession around social work and mental health settings um, and um, there's is that there, there's been kind of um, discussion that, around the idea that, that, that what makes social work unique as a profession um, has had, had been lost a little bit in mental health services, in a kind of mm. be, becoming more of a homogenized role, um, and actually uh, that mental health services are predominantly led from a health perspective, um, and um, mm. that, you know, obviously there's a lot of value in, in that knowledge base and that understanding, um, but um, that the kind of the social work uniqueness was getting squeezed and actually the the assets that they could bring to that area of work weren't even fully realised as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Ruth Allen, I can't remember when her report was now, I think it was around 2015, um, and more recently Mark Trewin um, produced a report for Department of Health and Social Care that was published last autumn, um, which is kind of identifying this need to kind of rebolster bolster the social work identity, and particularly looking at um, kind of the, the use of social interventions and promoting them in mental health settings. And I know, Nikki, in the department we work in, obviously, um, we, we have a lot of people working, a lot of colleagues from mental health services, um, as well as from social works with, um, within mental health nursing and, and other mental health mm-hmm. roles. So we're very aware that this isn't something that's, completely, that's alien to other professionals. Um, and I think sometimes there is that perception that kind of social workers are based around the social model of health and impairment and um whereas medical professions are just based around giving medication and, and therapy. Mm-hmm. Um and, and I, obviously I you know that that's um I think that, that that's doesn't reflect the reality at all around how people want to practice. And a, a lot of you know, sort of mm-hmm. nursing colleagues and things are very kind of aware of these things. But I think so, I think the culture coming from kind of a health-led profession um Still doesn't kind of enable people working in their services to to really promote kind of social interventions mm. as a, a way of um, supporting service users and patients. Mm. I think there is still a very strong focus around um, kind of minimizing hospital admissions, frankly, and um, minimizing mm. deaths. And that's like, absolutely as it should be. I mean, that yeah. that's that's a number one priority, mm. but. I don't think mental health services need to be stopping there um, mm. and actually I think hopefully with kind of a, a, a higher status or a higher um, visibility of social work roles um, within mental health services might help to kind of stimulate mm. sort of more innovation around use of social interventions and and mm. um, sort of cross-pollinate um, with, within that profession. I, think
0: no, oh, I love that. Sorry. Are you even going to gloss over the fact you described nurses as being part of the medical profession. Letting that go. Obviously, I've tagged it. <laughs> 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 Did you want to add anything to
2: no, that? No, I, I was just thinking, Nikki, listening to Ed talk about mm. you know, social, the role of social work and the uh, social work identity really being kind of, I guess, reinforced by more contemporary discussions about social determinants, of mental health, you know, kind of really kind of wanting to engage with social policy um, and um, the kind of social around poverty and discrimination uh, yeah. and other factors that have quite a significant influence on mental health um, and well-being. And I think we're yeah. in a good position to, to kind of bring some of that knowledge and skills forward um, to do that.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And for me, I have to say, I really... Um, I value so much working with social work colleagues because of, of the status of mental health nursing. So I think one of the issues is that, you know, with nursing as a, as a body can be quite, quite biomedical and can absolutely live within that framework. But mental health nurses have been a bit on the side. You know, and there's, I think, a lot of people that came up through the kind of recovery model, through kind of looking at kind of a type stuff, looking at... Um, you know the tidal model with a real expectation of social justice really embedded in mental health nursing and having social workers in a team really just give you a couple of people on your side when you're arguing from that type of because you just you can count on them because you know what they're going to think <laughs> so you can actually start to, to actually build a, a better pay, care for somebody because you're looking at, at looking at things in a genuinely holistic way and, you know, everybody's, as, as Ed said, all the different sides of those arguments have got something to offer. And there are people who fall to, across the spectrum, don't they? But I think when decisions are purely financial, that's when things start to get complicated. And you see it with things like the Mental Health Act, particularly, with things like CTOs. I mean, remember when community treatment orders came in, they're like, there will be like five people on this. And they're like, like five people every second put on it um, and there was a lot to be used instead of it being used for therapeutic purposes it can be used for bed clearance and then it's, it gets really complicated
3: I, I think um, that that was people looked at it, the, the way guardianship has been used under the mental health Act or not used hardly at all and probably assumed that that would be the same for um, CTAs but yeah what people didn't tweak was that um, you could potentially save a lot of money, or at least empty a lot of beds, um, and actually, what, what's I, I, I suppose I know we're not necessarily here to talk about the, the mental health that, but the, the plus side of that, though, I'm Nikki, I think is that the, it um, maybe it's reduced kind of the misuse of um, Section Seven leave, mm. um, which um, you know, I, I certainly when I was in practice, I, I, I knew patients who were on leave for over a year. Um, and um, you know, it's just because people didn't want to bite the bullet and discharge them, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, because they, they 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 sort of had anxieties and wanted to be able to say, well, you know, they were never discharged; they were, you know, they were still an inpatient. Um, yeah. So hopefully, maybe it's it's minimised the, the the misuse of that section, yeah. and, and at least it's a slightly more framework around CTAs, and yeah. um, but at the same time don't really think they were that well through. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think we should um, swap over to Dave for a second and get some questions. So I can see some come through on Facebook Live.
1: Yeah, we've got a few on Facebook Live, Nikki. Uh mm-hmm. The first one that I wanted to highlight was from Adrian, and it's uh, focused to both of you. What are the current future challenges for social workers, and has COVID made the time more difficult?
3: OK, thanks, and that, that's really interesting. I, I think... Um, in terms of, the, was it the current challenges or the current um, kind of focuses in social work? Um, I
1: think... Yeah, I think a bit of a bit both really, but yeah. yeah.
3: But, I mean, so, so the trends in social work um, are, um, you know, the, the pressures are financial based fundamentally, and I, I'm talking from perspective of somebody who's worked exclusively in adult overseas, but um, adult social care budgets were, were horrifically squeezed that I would just say dangerously squeezed before Covid Um, and um, I I don't think Covid has helped at all with that um, for obvious reasons Um, and so until that gets resolved, um, I think that there's, you know, those services are really at risk and I think um, Social workers are very, very constrained in terms of the extent to which they can do what they really want to do, which is actually to improve the quality of people's lives. Whereas at the moment it feels to be more um, that they they're just about sort of life and limb type services really. Um, and although the, the new legislation, the Care Act, is very much focused around these, it's not that new now, but it's very focused around these this, sort of this concept of well-being. Um, actually, um, that that feels um, like sort of blame sort of rhetoric, I suppose, um, because there just isn't the resources there uh, to, to provide that to people. Um, and so um, the, the kind of things like the personalization agenda, which is a whole other kind of area but, but about this idea of promoting choice and independence, putting service users at the, at the centre of the process, giving them the control over how their social care budgets are spent, giving them the choice over the services that they use. Those things are great, but actually, if you're giving them control over a care budget which is far too small and giving them a choice of far too few resources to choose from, then it's not actually addressing the problem. Um, and I, I think maybe it's, it's sort of a hangover of those, those neoliberal ideas that that's actually, you know, will give you them a bit of the money and then you can sort out your own problems. Um, is you know, um, mm. it's, it's a failed experiment, um, but. Um, It needs a kind of significant injection of resources to resolve those issues.
2: Mm. I think, in terms of contemporary, in terms of practice issues, obviously, COVID's raised inequities and inequalities quite substantially across the board. So demand on service provision is increased. Um, along with that, but also, you know, the COVID Act legislations, CHET has had impact on practice um, provision, perhaps, you know, not the requirements for visiting and other things statutory duties, have has been variation to those in that context, so kind of undertaking the task um, is definitely much more limited and having to think about kind of being more inventive about how we go about engaging in that relationship um, with service users and their families. Um, to address some of those difficulties is is significant.
3: Just to sound at like a slightly more optimistic tone, though, all say I think one thing that's happened in, in terms of COVID is it has massively raised public awareness of
4: yeah.
3: adult social care needs. Um, I know that kind of applications for um social work programs, undergraduate and postgraduate programs, is 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 really up. So that suggests that people are, have have a real growing awareness of the existence of social work as a profession and the usefulness of it. Um, and
0: there's a massive recession, Ed.
3: And and also <laughs> people know they're probably going to get a job as a result of um, doing training. Just putting
4: that out
3: there. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I just think it, you, you know that there's definitely that it's now on the public agenda, whereas before uh, obviously NHS funding is also something which is hugely looked at. But in reality it's a slightly um, uh, Artificial separation of the two, and I, I think uh, um, mm. you know, uh, so if, you, if you could turn back time eighty years, I think what we what would have been ideal is if we hadn't separated social care out from um, healthcare, when we created the welfare state, and and actually, mm. um, you know, the, the two are so symbiotic that pressures and social care inevitably leads to greater pressures on on health services, um, and. Um, You know, it's kind of that that concept of something which is essential for people's lives, being free at the point of delivery, should go beyond just kind of the immediate need to stop somebody dying. Um, Mm -hmm. It, it, you know, continues into the quality of life and um, what happens once somebody leaves hospital.
0: It's a sign that you're such a good person that you actually said, if I could turn back time, 80 years, I wouldn't buy a house.
3: (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah, and an
0: Amazing practitioner you are. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you can
1: I, answer another question. Yeah, just a supplementary one, really, mm. and, and obviously both as educators, and considering that the kind of the big problem that you mentioned about you know social care and local authority budgets being cut so significantly, mm. how do you attract and retain really good student social workers and? Qualified social workers? Have you got, I know you probably not got a, a, a special recipe, but have you got a few ingredients that you would kind of throw into the, the mix? Yeah,
3: I mean, there's, there's a couple of issues there. I think just to very quickly deal with the retention issue. So um, we'll come back to kind of recruitment of social work students, but there is a massive crisis in social work um, of retention. So a lot of people coming into the profession and then leaving within a couple of years. Um, and that goes back to some of the things we've already discussed that, um, you know, that just the pressure of resources makes it kind of, I mean, it's very, very difficult for people to do the job that they wanted to do, to, to you know, apply the values of the profession which they wanted to join. Um, and, you know, so, so that kind of retention issue is really massive. And it's, you know, some people are trying to look for the kind of the magic formula to solve that. But the reality of it is, you know, they need to be operating in a viable environment for that, and that, that requires resourcing of um, public services. In terms of um, recruiting students, so um, we, we have some statutory requirements that we have to apply when we're recruiting students um, around um, basic standards of literacy and numeracy, and we have an, a, an entrance test that people are asked to complete. Um, but um, we also have to establish that people are kind of ready for social work uh, training. There's a kind of statutory requirement, there's like something called the professional capabilities framework which if people are interested in looking at It. they can go to the Basel website. Um, and it's like this pretty rainbow thing um, which is very stratified and, and sort of takes you through all the areas of knowledge and understanding and skills that people need to have throughout their career and how that's supposed to develop. And at the very inside of that rainbow is where you kind of start from. It, it says this is what where people need to be at in order to start social work um, uh, education. And, and I suppose that going thinking about when we sort of done interviews as we do with with all applicants, um, sort of the real thing that we're looking for is that people actually understand what social work is. Um, so they've got a realistic understanding of what roles of social workers are um, of. Um, Kind of what the values of the profession are, not in depth, and they, you know, they don't need to know kind of the nuance of it and and all that sort of thing, because that's what they're doing their training for. But you'd be surprised at how many people apply for social work and, and haven't actually googled social work. I think, um, and and so that that's kind of work around understanding what the profession is. We we do look for a level of experience from people, not as social work, but working. Um, in kind of a responsible role with vulnerable people, so as a classroom assistant or in, in social care settings or youth centres or um, things like that. It doesn't have to be paid work, it can be volunteering. Um, but actually that, that that all leads to kind of an understanding of their commitment to the profession, that actually it's something they, they, they've tried out a little bit, they've got an understanding what it is. Um, and the reality of working in Caring professions, including social work, is that you are going to be in very difficult stressful situations um, and dealing with situations and with people who that really challenge. Um, and so that's um, that kind of inner resilience is something that's really important. And obviously, we try, we looked at how we could support that and how services should be supporting um, their workers as well. Um, but you know, people need to have that understanding. With that, as they um, as they prefer to, to sort of join the training, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if you want to add to that, Cherie.
2: Oh, I would agree, Ed. I think you know having some kind of preparedness for the, I guess the the emotional demands of of social work practice. You, this is a, a relationship, mm. ostensibly, that you're having with people, very vulnerable people, often very distressed people. Um, you know um being being aware of of the kind of cost of that personally you know given the kind of social structure the structure that we're in in terms of organization and context uh, in which uh, um, provision of service is applied so you do need to kind of be minded of that and invest in that and just to add on to ed's point earlier about um retention you know i know that from, from my kind of practice experience lots of frustration around particularly in children and family context um around uh the the kind of waiting i guess of of um kind of bureaucratic or administrative tasks versus actual direct practice um time has kind of been an issue of contention one which baz was been kind of looking at quite some time really wanting to kind of refocus practice um, with a greater emphasis in, in in having the space for practitioners to engage in those relationships as much as um mm. as the administrative responsibilities that they have um ha- have to kind of fulfill.
4: Mm.
0: We've just been tweeting out the um links to becoming a social worker and things like that from Basil. so thank you very much Ed and Mark Troin just um he, uh, to say, um, levity discussion is taking place. Lots of joint working and shared commitments between mental health nurses and social workers. Which is nice, isn't it? Is there any more questions, Dave, or do you
1: want to, to move on? Uh, I would say move on, but I've also been looking for that rainbow that you talked about before, and I'll be tweeting out links and pictures to that as well, Ed. Fantastic, thank you, David.
2: I would also kind of suggest that people have a look at Social Work England's uh, website to look at the kind of professional standards there. Um, and Baz's um, code of ethics.
0: Yeah, okay. So I was just looking at some of the questions coming in now, but we're going to take a break and then come back to them. So one of the things we were also talking about was kind of um, what it takes to be a student, what it takes to be um, trained. Um, but I guess is there anything in particular that's going on in um, mental health, um, social work education at the moment that's particularly sort of driving things forward or, or changing, responding to the Real challenges that we're facing at the moment.
3: Yeah, I mean, so so mental health social work is one area of the profession where they've they've particularly identified a, a mm. problem with retention mm. um, and uh, or even recruitment of social workers. Mm. Um, and so um, the the program we work on with uh, with our colleagues at Think Ahead um, is mm. kind of a direct response to that. Um, it's a government funded uh, program. Um, and uh, so, uh, social work education and training is predominantly delivered through undergraduate and postgraduate uh, routes within universities. And mm. At Middlesex, we have an undergraduate social work program uh, and a fast track um, uh, MA program, and then we also have an apprenticeship program. Um, but then there are some uh, some other routes into social work training, so. Frontline is uh, a funded um, children and families um, uh, training route, and Step Up is another um, one. We we have a Step Up program at Middlesex University as well, mm. um, and uh, the Think Ahead program is um, one which looks specifically at um, mental health, um, also so recruiting and, and training people for to be social workers in mental health settings.
4: Mm.
3: I think what what we we're very clear on though is that there is. There isn't such a profession as mental health social work. Um, Social work is is a generic profession, Um, so we have social workers that work in mental health settings, and and that's a very, I know it sounds like semantics, but that's importantly different from being a mental health social worker, Um, because it is that that genericism which is really, really important, that knowledge across all, all those areas. Um, and, you know, I've worked with the Step Up programme and also working with the Thinker programme now. And, and so you, you, people are naturally more inclined to work in a certain area of the service that they're specifically training for. Mm. But we really have to make it clear to them, you know, that you, if you're working in a mental health service, the people you're working with will have children, some of them, um, or, or maybe working in professions where they work with children. or mm-hmm. so you, you need to have that knowledge base. And if you're working in children and family service, well, those children have parents and some of those parents will have, substance use needs or physical support needs or mental health needs mm-hmm. and, and so you know we, we spoke right at the top of this conversation about those two pathways but as you said later on that that is uh, al- although kind of the bureaucracy of the way services operate do sort of force those two pathways a bit actually it's also slightly kind of an illusion as well because the reality of it's we don't you know you you, you, we're all working with families, we're all working with children, and we're all working with adults. Um, but I think kind of within, uh, having said all that, I think that the, kind of the, the lens that we're applying around mental health, particularly um, in terms of social work programmes, is really focusing around things like the social determinants and looking at social interventions. Um, and we, um, in our... Um, our, our program where we look at mental health, we're focusing in particular around three types of social interventions: so that's motivational interviewing, systemic family interventions, and connecting people. Um, and, and kind of offering skills training around those um, particular interventions, but also introducing people to kind of the wider concept around social interventions. We have a strong focus around relationship-based practice, um, and um. We, we kind of introduce people to a broader awareness of, of, of those types mm. of social interventions. So we've we, we kind of taken on board um, those reports and those concerns around that um, the, the underuse of social work as a profession uh, in mental health services, and actually looking what we're happening most usefully bolster that. What, what's going to be most of most value to mm. patients and mental health services, and um, that social work can bring. Uh, and and I think there's that that kind of that focus around um, those elements is is um, really important. We also recognise that it's um, you know Rome wasn't built in a day. I, th- I think you know you know mental health services are very very entrenched. Um, I think the, the, the shadow of the mental health act still looms probably too much over mental health services. Um, mm. And um, you know I'm sure there'll be people that argue that it's it kind of hasn't really changed much in the last you know, 500 years, fundamentally. Mm. Um, you know, at its heart, it's still, you know, if we, we can't deal with the way people behave, we'll lock them up. Mm. Um, and you know, that sort of, you know, we'll be we're working around that, but that's mm. still right at the centre of um, how yeah. we deal with mental health in, in, um, in this country.
0: I think the but big issue as well when you look at that is it's not just that people are being randomly Detained. It's not. It's not just the behaviour, is it? It's the fact that demographically you can see certain populations have a great deal higher likelihood of being detained, and that's what makes. Nathan, it's not a biomedical issue we're looking at here we're looking at something that's quite social as well so did you want to add to that because i can see we've actually been going 40 minutes so we're gonna to have to start wrapping up soon
2: yeah, <laughs> i was just thinking leading on from your point nikki about um particular populations you know and i guess that's why i think you know that's what social work brings to practice is that awareness that discussion around uh, the inequities that might be um, kind of underpinning some of those um, processes and how we can start to challenge that in in, in everyday practice. So being part of that broader discussion.
4: Mm.
0: And we've been talking a bit about specialties and, and how important it is to keep that kind of, what's well, special about specialty, almost separate as well. But how can we work better together? So if, if, if we we usually have people from so, nursing and health backgrounds watching this um, and listening to this, so what could we do um, specifically? to um to work better together
3: do you think i mean i, I think um kind of a dialogue between professionals is really important um unfortunately i think a lot of it is left to kind of individuals the the systemic um kind of scaffolding around that 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 discussion is, is pretty poor generally speaking um mm. and it seems to be left to professionals to organize themselves um, mm. around that um, we we've been involved in Middlesex in and very large teaching partnership um, mm. with um, a number of local authorities. Um, and that's been really useful in terms of getting together groups of professionals um, and sort of building uh, kind of communities of practice um, within social work. And I, I think if, if to kind of replicate that and, and develop it within mental health settings would we, have real value. Mm. Um, but Also, recognizing that in some ways we're still trying to insert these things within the the cracks that there are that are very narrow in terms of Mm -hmm. how we operate in mental health Mm -hmm. services. Mm -hmm. And so, sort of being allies to each other around that, and where we see that people are trying to innovate and, um, you know, try something new or or try different approaches um, Mm -hmm. that that we're actually really supportive of that and take an interest and, you know, try, try to sort of back people on it, Um, and a recognition that sometimes, you know, we can't, we're not going to be able to apply models kind of universally and and sort of in a very pure way. We have to kind of mix and match a little bit and um, find where we can apply elements of things and build a kind of um, some um, momentum uh, behind that process. Mm. Um, And like I say, you know, And I and I I mentioned it earlier, but um, I think also maybe for social workers to realise that it is a myth that they're the ones that are interested in these things, Um, and actually that's you know I I know a lot of my colleagues Mm -hmm. in mental health probably know a lot more about some of the social interventions than than I do, and and, and are more aware of them. And um, actually, it's maybe it's about not having the opportunity um, to apply them so much. In the same way that social workers are struggling, so I think, yeah, yeah, trying to build that kind of um, bottom-up approach to um, to changing services is, is really challenging. But I think that's probably the way to do it.
2: I think it's also being able to have sufficient kind of communication and a respectful communication around differing perspectives, and um, you know, because actually, all, all um provision has its you know has its place and has its use and as you kind of said there's you know there's um, all sorts of kind of knowledge and skills that we we share and fundamentally for me it's about what works for the service user um so whether or not i think the medical model is the right model um it's kind of a bit inconsequential if it's meaningful for them and actually um it's helpful for them so I, i guess it's about us coming together um you know and, and kind of sharing those bodies of mm. knowledge and expertise um in a kind of respectful way and trying to understand different perspectives when they're when they're present particularly mm. if it's tense
0: when is it not <laughs> 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 absolutely 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 we've got a couple of questions i can see here someone talking about becoming an amp um is there any way that you can advise on that
3: Person asking? Uh, yeah, I'd say most. Um, so you need to be two two years qualified um, in your profession uh, to become an AMP. And your if you work in a mental health trust, um, your employer will want you to be an AMP because there's a shortage of them and they really want people. Uh, but they're also short on its funding to, to pay for mm. people to go and do the training. So I, I would say, um, you know, speak to your employer, really. Um,
4: mm.
3: Not only because you want them to pay for it and to give you the time of work, and typically it's a three-month um, training program yeah. with a with placement, but also you can't actually – just being qualified as an AMP doesn't mean you can be an AMP. You, you need somebody to let you practice, kind of give you mm. your warrant to practice In that area, so it's kind of no good being an AMP unless your employer is then going to let you do the role. Mm. practice.
0: thank you very much. Um, And um, we've got some comments from Ben Glass finishing up, talking about um, the sort of basically the same sorts of things. You are about the state of social care in the country and saying um, having fully funded, democratically accountable social care system is the way forward. I think anyone would disagree with that. (laughs) 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 Certainly, I think yeah. That'd be nice <laughs> but we, we're getting there it's slow slow process but i think one of the things that covid has really done is shown us where the real problems are and then that that is not something that can be hidden at all anymore so we're coming um, to final thoughts now so i'll come to dave first and see if there's anything that he wanted to sort of sign off with and then back to you both sherry and ed
1: yeah i suppose a quick thought from me is that uh, i have came across social workers quite often in my you know, my past life as a health visitor. And I suppose one of the things I always try to impress upon people is, you know, that bit about where people might think they some kind of enforcers or, you know, punishers. Actually, you know, they can be really supportive enablers and, and help with really, really difficult circumstances and i suppose that bit about you know as in with lots of things uh, related to public health for example if we can encourage people to get help support and advice at earlier stages then the interventions that are needed aren't as as sort of significant uh, and i suppose you know obviously in terms of funding one of the problems that we have is you know as funding does get tighter and there's more and more cuts there's a real kind of dissuasion from people being able to access that timely support and advice and information and and I think it's important to remember with that that it's not the social worker's fault that therefore they can't provide all that really good early support and advice you know it's it's a very much a systemic government governmental problem that you know really kind good professionals are put in in really difficult circumstances and I think one of the final thoughts for me would be is that mental health nurses are in exactly the same boat as social workers in that that regard and respect Uh, and that's certainly one of the reasons why both professions really do get my admiration for, for the amazing work that they've done uh, so, you know, any social workers that are listening to MHTV for the first time tonight, just to mm-hmm. say a, a big thank you for the work that you're doing, uh, not just from myself, but Unite, my organisation, mm-hmm. who absolutely value it. So, uh, mm-hmm. my final thoughts, Nikki, have you got some final thoughts to share?
2: Not yet. <laughs> 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 Jerry, anything from you? Oh, nothing else from me. Okay, Ed?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I think it's um, we've touched on really interesting discussions here, and I, you know, hopefully mm. we'll continue these on on social media and, and mm. with each other as well. Um, I, I would I, I, I slightly concerned we may have focused on some very significant negatives and, and problems mm. in the social care system and in the mental health services, but but I would also say you know. I, maybe they were happier times but I really enjoyed my time working in mental health services and the learning disability services it, it, it was always challenging um, mm. and um, you know difficult but also um, I, I love the team I was working in I love the patients I was working with mm. um, I found even though we weren't always able to achieve our aims you know I liked the fact that we had those aims and, and those ambitions mm. um, and so you know I, I I really would you know, encourage people to consider a career in mental health social work or social work in a mental health setting. Mm. Or social work full stop if people are, are interested in it and, and to look at the social work in the website, look at the a website and get a feel for what the, the mm. profession involves because it, you know, for, for, for all that we've kind of, yeah. you know, indicated that it's a problematic environment we're working in, that, that's not to say I think the professions are problematic at all.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I think if this is the type of work you want to do, then you will love it and yes. you should go for it. Don't don't ever listen to anybody else saying yes or no about it. But I think it, the other thing is to know what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, because I don't want you to turn up at an interview and not really know what it means to be a social worker or a mental health nurse or anything like that. So. Um, We've created out a lot of the resources that have been mentioned by Sheree and Ed tonight, um, following the MHT t- MHTV hashtag. So if you do want to add anything to those or have any more uh, questions, we'll certainly circle back over the next day or so and check both all those sort of social media timelines and see if there's anything we can do to uh, be supportive or to help you with anything. But thank you very much, everybody, for your um, time tonight and for joining in with us. We've really appreciated it. Um, and it just remains for us to say good night. Good night, guys. Take care.
1: Everybody. Bye-bye. Okay. Good night.